0: Hey everyone, have you ever wondered how the ocean's top predators procreate? Or perhaps how sharks set that sexy time mood?
1: Want to learn more about the reproductive
0: organs of whales and dolphins than you've ever even considered? If so, then stick around for this episode of Ocean Ocean Science Science Radio. Radio.
1: Listeners, It gives me great joy and a wee bit of melancholy to welcome you to our very last episode in our series on marine reproduction called Ocean Lemon. I'm Andrew Kornblatt.
0: And I'm Samantha Wishnack. And once again, let me welcome back from the podcast Strictly Fish Wrap, Skylar Bear. Hi
2: there, Samantha. It's great to be back. You know, it has been such a pleasure having you on. Yeah, you've been a really
1: great guest host. So, what you got for us tonight?
2: If you will recall, we have so far gone over mantis shrimp, lobsters, seahorses, copepods, octopi, cuttlefish, sea stars, scallops, osadax worms, kelp, corals, and now. Drumroll, please. The charismatic megafauna of sharks and cetaceans.
1: Sharks, dolphins, and whales, oh my!
2: First, we meet. Britt Finucci. My
3: name is Britt Finucci and I'm finishing up my PhD at Victoria University in Wellington, New Zealand. And the focus of my PhD is on deep sea sharks. I look at a whole range of sharks actually and they're all caught predominantly as bycatch in New Zealand fisheries. So they're unintentional catch that are caught when fishers are out looking for more commercially valuable species. But as far as my biology work goes, I've mainly looked at five species, one true shark, prickly dogfish. Four species of chimeras, which are also cartilaginous
0: fish. Chimeras are an unusual group, also known as ghost sharks, ratfish and rabbitfish, giving you a pretty good idea of their truly chimerical appearance. Most chimera species are found at depths of over 500 meters.
1: And like most deep sea creatures, chimeras are weird.
0: A lot of the
3: biology work that I've done actually focuses on reproductive biology. Chimeras are quite odd when it comes to reproductive biology. Uh, With all sharks, males have a pair of claspers, which are the equivalent of a penis. They They have a pair, they don't have one, they have
2: two.
1: Wait, wait a second. Sharks have a pair
2: of...? Yep, partner. That's right. So how does that work?
3: Mating in sharks hasn't been reported, hasn't been seen in a lot of species. But from what i read, the males could use one cluster. the males could use two. So it could be kind of like a backup thing, you know, to have hopefully one at least working at one time. Then, you know, if they can, then they'll get both of them in there. Um, but again, yeah, with the males as well, they do have paired reproductive tracts. So if you look at them internally, they have two testes. Yeah, everything's paired.
2: Good to always have a backup plan. So back to chimeras and their weirdness.
3: The male chimeras have these additional appendages called tenacula. And these are little appendages, only about the size of um, your nail bed. And they become calcified and hooked as the males become mature. And they have one on the top of their head. They also have a pair of them near each pelvic fin. And these are presumably used to grasp onto females during mating events.
1: Chimaeras are clingy.
2: Really, it is all sharks. Males will grab onto females with rows of stranded teeth. But chimeras don't have teeth. They have plates that look like rabbit teeth, and that is not good for grabbing onto anything. Which is why those
0: bony little tenacula could come in handy. It turns out that these chimera have actually developed other handy tactics that we've seen before in previous Ocean 11 episodes. One of the things that I've found
3: with the species I've looked at is that chimeras, it's been
0: thought to be widespread,
3: but until recently, it's only been confirmed in all families that these females can store sperm which definitely has some advantages. It means the females can avoid the males. Like I said, the males will grasp on the females during copulation and that can be quite damaging to females. So that would take that out of the equation. Sometimes it might just be hard to find a mate. So, you know, if you do, you mate with them. Females might not be ready to actually start reproducing, but they have that sperm to kind of take with them and use it when they're
0: ready. No males hanging around, no problems.
1: Chimeras are cool and all, but did you hear about the virgin birth shark?
2: Here to talk about it is Dr. Dudgeon.
4: Hi, my name is Dr. Christine Dudgeon, and I'm a postdoctoral researcher based in the University of Queensland,
0: which is in Brisbane, Australia. Christine studies the Queensland leopard shark, which earlier this year made some pretty interesting headlines.
4: This species is found in the Western Pacific and Indian Oceans. It's a warm water species, so in tropical and subtropical areas. It's a little bit unusual, it doesn't have any very close relatives, but it's part of a bigger group called the carpet shark order, or the erectilobiforms. And this includes things like wobbegongs and bamboo sharks, which are found always resting on the bottom.
1: Wobigong and bamboos? Who let Lewis Carroll name these things?
4: But also whale sharks, which are the largest fish in the sea. And in a way, this leopard shark looks a little bit like a mini whale shark, and it has similarities with being a little bit yellow and spotty as as a grown-up, but it also has these ridges that run along its back, which it shares with the whale shark.
0: All right, Christine, so give us the juicy stuff on these sharks.
4: So the leopard sharks, after sex, they actually develop egg cases inside the body, and then they lay these eggs, and the eggs
2: incubate for around four months in the wild before the babies hatch out. These leopard shark pups will hatch out at around 20 to 30 centimeters in length, and over the next two years will grow quite rapidly until they reach their adult size, which is around two meters in length, or about six feet. They will take about seven years to reach sexual maturity.
4: One of the interesting things about leopard sharks that has been found in the last few years and has been also found in another seven species of sharks and rays They occasionally reproduce asexually.
1: This particular kind of asexual reproduction was known as parthenogenesis, which is Greek for virgin birth. This is the kind of asexual reproduction that occurs when embryos develop, but the egg has not been fertilized by sperm.
0: You really have to ask yourself, how did researchers find out that these sharks were self replicating? For leopard sharks, this was
4: first noticed in the Burj Al Arab Aquarium in Dubai, where an animal who had never reproduced before, reached maturity in the aquarium and On the onset of maturity, and she didn't have any males to mate
2: with, she started laying eggs. But that alone is not unusual, because much like a chicken, leopard sharks will just lay eggs if the conditions are good or not. But
4: what the aquarists noticed in her eggs were some embryos developing. And so they investigated the DNA signature, the genetic signature of these eggs, and found that they only had DNA from one parent. So they could tell that the eggs did not have any male or other contribution in the DNA.
1: So Lady Shark decides she wants a clone of her own and that she doesn't need no man shark for that?
2: Actually, it's not quite a clone because the egg only shares half of its DNA with its mother. The egg somehow doubles its DNA during development, and this makes for an easy detectable DNA signature parthenogenesis and has actually been found in endangered sawfish juveniles. Oh, interesting.
0: When you take into account the shark's ability to store sperm, mixed with this new discovery, it like, gives sharks plenty of options to keep the species alive.
2: Here's the story of Naomi and Leo. And so this has now been Described in
4: seven other species of sharks too. But recently, last year, we discovered something even more unusual about this species was that in an aquarium here in Queensland in Townsville, which is in North Queensland, there, there were two female sharks in the aquarium, a mother shark, Leone, and her daughter, Lolly. And Leone had reproduced together with a partner, a male shark, Leo, um, for many years, and they had had over two dozen babies together. Then Leo was removed from the tank because Leo was a little bit too amorous and kept wanting to have more babies. And there's only so many leopard sharks you can fit in an aquarium.
1: Oh Leo, stop being so amorous. Oh my.
4: So they removed Leo and after a couple of years, Leonie started laying eggs again and they noticed embryos developing in the eggs. And so none of the ones survived in the first year, but in the second year she had more embryos in the eggs and some of these embryos
2: hatched out, three in fact, um, into young pups. What was interesting about this is that there could be two reasons that these embryos developed after Leo was removed. One was sperm storage, and the other possible reason was this parthenogenesis. Of course, the scientists
1: dug deeper. A test? I demand a test.
4: And so we tested the DNA of these embryos, of these babies that, that had hatched out, and found that they had no DNA signature from the father at all. They were purely maternal. And so what we described here, which was really exciting, was the first time that a female shark had switched from reproducing sexually to then reproducing asexually, which was only over two years. And that's pretty short when you think that these sharks are living up to 40 years. And we
2: think that she switched because she didn't have a male to mate with anymore. This represents an amazing survival strategy, the ability to store sperm to reproduce when conditions are ideal, and to reproduce asexually if you have no other options. And that is how sharks do it.
0: Up next. Have you ever wondered about the sex lives of whales and dolphins? Well,
1: here to sate your cetacean carnal curiosity is Dr. Sarah Mesnick.
5: My name is Sarah Mesnick. I'm an ecologist at NOAA Fisheries Southwest Fisheries Science Center located in La Jolla, California. So I'm a cetacean biologist. I'm fortunate to work on whales, dolphins, and porpoises. I've spent the most time, however, working with sperm whales and sperm whales are the largest of the toothed whales in the ocean.
0: One of the responsibilities of NOAA Fisheries is to look at species that have been impacted by human behavior, like whaling, and try to determine ways to help those species recover.
5: They are fascinating animals for many reasons. We study them at NOAA Fisheries because they were impacted by whaling in the past, and our job here is to recover species and to mitigate human impacts. Part of that work has been to look at the social behavior of these animals in order to understand their recovery from past whaling. And part of understanding their sociality is to look at their mating system. So
2: here is an issue the work of marine biologists studying whales take them to the middle of the ocean where it's much more difficult to follow the animals they are studying. At sea, they may go days without seeing any sperm whales and then run into a couple of groups and then spend days without any sightings.
5: You can imagine in that case, it's much more difficult to study the reproductive behavior.
0: So how does a marine biologist learn about the sex lives of animals that are difficult to observe in the wild?
5: The way we've approached that is to look at, instead of the animals themselves, to focus in on the reproductive organs. And these are in males, the testes and the penises. In females, it's the ovaries and the reproductive tract from the vaginal tract from the cervix to the vulval opening. We're able to get that data in a number of rather unusual ways.
2: One of which is sometimes whales die at sea and they wash up on shore. When that happens, it's a stranded and dead animal, and scientists are able to do an necropsy and dissect out the reproductive organs.
1: Some of the data on record came from the leavings of a rather brutal industry.
5: uh were hunted for years, and there's a long legacy of biologists that studied these animals, and in their foresight, they collected data on all sorts of features, including reproductive tracts. And so we had historical data as well as contemporary data for a number of species. Um, Sometimes marine mammals also get caught in fishing gear, and observers may retain the animal and do a dissection. So we're able to collect the reproductive organs on a large number of marine mammals. And this gives us insight into their reproductive behavior in a way that we would not necessarily be able to get at sea.
1: But what information does looking at these testes really give us? What does it tell
5: us? What it tells us is how much energy and physiological material is dedicated to reproduction and how that reproduction may function in the wild.
0: It all starts with observations on the social behaviors of cetaceans. If we
5: want to know how sperm whales reproduce and they live far from shore, it's difficult for us to follow them at sea. We do know that sperm whales travel in groups that are comprised primarily of females and their dependent calves. And males do not travel and do not live with females. The largest males are solitary, and they forage in high-latitude waters up in the poles or near the poles. And then they come down into tropical and temperate waters to find females that are ready to reproduce.
2: Female sperm whales only reproduce about once every four to six years. It takes them a long time to raise each calf. You can imagine for a male sperm whale, he has to search the world's oceans for female that may be receptive. And that
0: usually requires approaching a click of female whales.
5: What has been observed from field studies is that males will come to a group of females and see if females are receptive, and if not, they just move on to the next group. If the females are receptive, they mate with one or more of the females in the group, but that's rarely observed.
1: Now, when you compare that to a school of dolphins...
5: So a school of dolphins in the open ocean may be comprised of hundreds to thousands of individuals. And although these groups are very labile in their structure, the same individuals do not always swim together, there are fission-fusion communities, but males and females live together in these schools. And so females and males are interacting all the time, and we know from observations there's a lot of mating going on.
0: Here's where we're looking at the reproductive Tools comes into play.
5: What we're able to do when we see the reproductive organs of these different species, particularly the size of the testes, we're able to estimate how much mating goes on in those uh, populations.
1: A dolphin has relatively large testes for its body size because they are mating all the time, and the males are generating sperm
0: all the time because of all that mating going on.
2: And there is a lot of mating going on. For larger
0: species like sperm whales or blue
2: whales, the
0: testes are surprisingly very small.
1: Way more energy is dedicated to actually finding a receptive female than producing sperm because these whales are mating at a rather low frequency. Not really finding each other that often.
5: I think the thing that impressed me the most is the amount of variation among species. So when we're looking at testes size, there are some of the largest whales in the world, like a blue whale or a sperm whale. And the testes are less than a tenth of one percent of the body weight of the animal. Whereas in other species, like, for instance, a dusky dolphin, those species, the testes are up to five, six, seven percent of the body weight. So there's a huge variation in the size of the reproductive organs that must mean a lot to the animals that are carrying those organs. And it provides insights into behavior that we're not able to get otherwise.
0: Sounds like there's a lot of dolphin baby making out there in the ocean.
2: Well, there may be a lot of mating going on, but one doesn't always lead to the other.
5: It's a very important distinction between engaging in mating behavior and in reproducing so what it means when the testes are very large we know that there's a lot of sexual behavior going on
2: something to remember is that these are mammals just like us and a lot of marine mammals at the most can have one offspring per year
5: what
1: it means in marine animals as it means in humans and many other species, is that a lot of mating is going on that doesn't result in the fertilization of an egg.
5: What this also means is that you can look at the female and you can see the complexity of her reproductive tract. And we mean the vaginal structures here. And cetaceans are unusual among mammals in that their vaginal structures can be quite elaborate and we are talking very complex
2: like a maze
5: yeah there can
0: be blind alleys large blocks tucks and turns and a lot of structures that actually prevent the sperm or impede the process of the sperm getting toward where the egg would be for fertilization
5: we are not sure what this complexity is designed for by evolution. The tracks that have a lot of these flaps and folds, it would be much more difficult for a sperm to navigate through that. And one of the hypotheses is it provides a way for the female to control which male fertilizes the egg. They also may just simply be mechanisms for keeping salt water out of the reproductive tract but the curious thing is that some females have very complex reproductive tracts and some have simple ones among the cetaceans the whales dolphins and porpoises but they all mate in the water
2: scientists have been trying to hypothesize not only the why of the development of these diverse sexual structures but also the how
1: one major theory is that the dolphin and the whale vaginas evolved in partnership with the development of the differing penises
5: and the point of this is that for some species, there's a lot of mating going on that doesn't result in fertilization, and in those species, we see this larger complexity. The ultimate mating and the ultimate interactions between males and females actually takes place in this complexity of the female reproductive tract.
0: So to recap, today we learned that sharks are literally clingy on their partners.
2: Some sharks can reproduce asexually.
1: That both cetaceans and sharks can store sperm.
2: That cetacean lady parts are diverse and complex.
1: And that a smaller male reproductive organ may mean less frequent mating.
0: Yep, I think this series has made me uh, reach my animal bonking quota for the year. Thank you. Skylar,
1: it has been a real pleasure to collaborate with you on this series. And if everyone feels up to it, let's try again in the future.
2: Andrew and Samantha, it's been a real pleasure. And I know I'd be up for a 2018 edition of Ocean Lovin'. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Big thanks to our guests for teaching us all we ever wanted to know about sea sex, but we're afraid
0: to ask. And a big thanks to you, our listeners. Be sure to catch us next time on an all-new ocean, ocean Science, Science Radio. Radio.
2: You know that dolphin testes are the second largest in the ocean, right?
1: Which are the first? Mine. I'm not sure that's how that joke works.